Welcome to Cloudlandia, Mr. Sullivan. Do you realize that the recordings of everything we say are being analyzed right now at the National Security Agency? I bet that's true. Don't doubt that for a minute. It's the best part of their week. Hey, guys, they're back. Gather around. That's funny. <laughs> they don't think it's funny. <laughs> oh, man. Well, how are you after our uh, absence last week? Yeah. Yeah, it's been great. You know, things are company-wise, since it's our best year ever, top line and bottom line. So, Oh, look you at know, you. Congratulations. Given, That's exciting. Given, given where we were, you know, two, three years ago, yeah. this is this feels good. You know, that was a long time underwater. Yeah, boy, oh boy. I, me too. I mean, that's, you know, much like you, the majority of a lot of my income came from live events, like doing my oh, yes. Breakthrough oh, Blueprint yes. events and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's weird. We, I'm just talking about it uh, the other day that, you know, what was kind of this last you know, it's almost coming up on. 2021, 22, to almost four full years, right? That yeah. Of, yeah. Next, <clears throat> if you think 20 was the, when it started, right? So, yeah, yeah. That's almost all. Yeah, we're here almost all of 2023. But I look at the last, you know, three. Uh, it's been a blur. This last seems like just yesterday. You know, we were in Phoenix at the Free Zone Summit at the Boulders. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, at the Boulders. Then the yeah. world uh, shut down. But I, I think what was really what really threw me off was we nobody knew how long this was going to last, and every I just felt like okay, well we'll just kind of flatten the curve. This will go out through the summer, and then by the fall we'll be back, and uh, everything should be fine. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm sure you were thinking that same thing. And then just uh, as soon as we flattened the curve, then we kept getting the new you know the new waves, and that went on like you know, three, three or four times. So weird. So let me ask you a question. What's the biggest idea you've had only because you went through what happened over the last three years, three, four years? I think the whole idea of Cloudlandia really formed then because that when I realized that the key is that we could just as easily gather in, in Cloudlandia and that I shifted everything from being kind of a mainland in-person business to being 80% mainland in-person, 20%, you know, on the phone or uh, otherwise. And, and that, that was a big, that was a big realization. And now realizing like, I really, I haven't been, I haven't been north of, I four Interstate four. I'm in north of I four in four years. I haven't mm-hmm. left. I haven't had to. I've hundred percent migrated to Cloudlandia with invitations and you know people coming to if they want to spend time in the mainland they come to. Um, but mm-hmm. so that that was a big that was a big shift, and we're mm-hmm. back now to so I'm back now. You know revenue wise back to pre-COVID days, you know, but then got, you know, it's, I think that the future is the, is a hybrid, you know, I I think there's still lots of mainland 
opportunity. So I, I think that line of thinking, real that realization of mainland and Cloudlandia and you know the roles of each. You know, it's really interesting. I did a lot of in-person workshops because I was doing the 10 times program <clears throat> beforehand. But this year, I'll do 64 coaching sessions, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, live days, you mean? Well, live events. Uh, so they're not yeah, days, okay. sorry, days. Oh, right. So I'll do 64 this year, and only eight of them will be in person. Oh, okay. That's what I was saying. That's what I meant. So you're counting like connector calls. Connector. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which and I quite the enjoy. thing about those, it, I think, are a nice sweet. Those are two hours. Two hours. Yeah. 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 Those are and, like the perfect sweet spot. Yeah. And it uh, was forced upon us only because we had no. There's nothing as decisive as no alternative. Absolutely. Yes, I hear you. But once we created this alternative, when we came back to full-time, I mean, the company as a whole is back to full-time live live sessions. Yeah. And But we've added these two-hour sessions, which were only Mm -hmm. possible because our client base got onto Zoom, willingly Mm -hmm. or not, they got onto Zoom. And mm-hmm. but it was so useful creating these little two hour sessions. That's a huge plus. That's a huge gain for us to have them. And mm-hmm. they're an entity into themselves. You know, they have their own yeah. value and would not have gone there for two reasons. One, there was no reason to. And secondly, right. there was not there was no ability to. But we acquired yeah. this capability because of what happened. I was reading the history. Um, of the um, plague, uh, which was not a single thing. It was a series of, this is, I'm talking about the um, 1200s and 13 plagues. Right. Uh Yeah. Uh The Black Plague. And it hit in uh, the early part of it hit worse in England. Of all the European countries, England got hit worse. And it, and England was a feudal country. They had warlords and they had serfs. You know, they had peasants. You know, the king was a warlord and then there were lesser warlords. But each of them had their serf universe around them. And these were the worker bees. You know, they did all the work. And the plague was an equal opportunity killer. It killed from top to bottom. There was no class in England that was immune to the plague because it was infectious because they intermingled all the time. Everybody was densely populated. And and it was so devastating that a lot of estates just folded up. A lot of warlord estates folded up because uh, they didn't have workers. They didn't have workers. They had lost so many workers. But what happened is that the workers realized suddenly that they had a value. In other words, that you can't run the place without us. And so they started wandering the field to the highest buyer, the the person mm-hmm. who would pay them the most and give them the best deal. So mm-hmm. in history, it's probably the biggest shift of servants becoming free agents that could and where they went off the land and they went into the yeah. towns, they went into the city and they became, yeah. you know, they became hired workers, but they could name their price because if they didn't like the price, they could um, go to somebody else and say, 
would you have, would you offer me a higher price? And what happened is that the merchant classes um, suddenly became important, more important than the landed aristocrats. Okay, because uh, they had business coming in where the land, you know, has one economic system. It's the crops, and they just decided, yeah. you know, not going to do that. But previous to the plague, they were condemned to the land. You know, they were condemned to their occupation. They were condemned to the land. They didn't move. But after the plague, they did. And so England, which got hit the worst, I think they had five plagues in period of 50 or 60 years, and um, all equally devastating. But they gained the most as a country because they got rid of serfdom in the 1200s, where, for example, by comparison, in Russia, it didn't happen until the beginning of the 20th century. And Germany didn't happen until 1850. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it was just because of the peculiar geography and the peculiar density of the British population. And then they started talking about rights. You know, they started talking about, you know, individual rights and everything uh-huh. along with employment. And, you know, freedom follows money. And and so, but I was just thinking about that, that what it must have been like the year before the first plague and the year after the fifth plague what had happened to people's lives back then. I mean, you know, it's so fascinating to me, Dan, because I remember in college and high school, like, you know, Western Civ classes were like, you know, get through that and write your Gordon rule essay and be gone with it. And here it wasn't really like figuring how does this apply to, to you, to me, you know, as a college kid, that's what you're thinking. But, now it's the thing that fascinates me is this whole history of Western civilization of how we kind of came into this thing. There's a funny meme going around on TikTok right now where, you know, women ask their husbands or boyfriends or whatever, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? Is a question that, that's, the meme is to turn your camera on and just ask your husband or whatever, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? And... It's a pretty interesting thing because the answers that they're giving, like a lot of them are, think about it all the time. And you think about how much <laughs> came from, you know, came from. Those, and they those didn't things. know. And the white yeah, exactly. didn't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I wonder. That's what are they thinking about? They're thinking about the Roman Empire. About the Roman you know? Empire. <laughs> <laughs> now that shocks me, actually. <laughs> but you strike me as a guy who often thinks about the Roman Empire, you know? Yes. I mean, it's yeah, I kind do. Of, not many people, Dan. I, I don't know anybody else to have a conversation that starts out. You know, I've been thinking about the Black Plague lately. Yeah. <laughs> Only here. <laughs> Welcome to yeah. Cloud Land. Did you hear such a conversation that is, you know, we just that, had about five. We just had about five tripwires at the National Security Agency. <laughs> if we didn't know that the majority yeah. of husbands were thinking about the Roman Empire, you know, it's kind of like, where have we been? We didn't pick up on this fact. <laughs> right. What's that <laughs> mean? I mean, mean, they were thinking know? about, yeah. But, you know, the answers that they were giving, was, you know, when a couple of guys were engineers and they're constantly thinking about, the, you know, the Roman Empire, thinking about others are 
the one guy's a was a martial artist thinking about the Roman, you know, gladiators and <laughs> like constantly thinking about all things Rome, you know. And yeah. it's funny because uh, you're, you know, you look at your Euclid as, you know. Yeah, long before the Roman Your Empire. foundational thing. Right, exactly. But I mean, looking <laughs> back. I mean, that, actually, if, that, if, if there was any civilization that benefited from Euclid, it was the Romans. They were great builders. Yeah. You know, and, uh, right, and, uh, exactly. And all that depended upon the books of Euclid, every, mm-hmm. everything that, that they did. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting uh-huh. thing, you know. I have a, a constant belief that human nature is a constant. And in in, I mean, we tend to think that people are radically different because of the means that they use at one particular era of, you know, history from another side. That, well, the, that means they were really different people. And I said, I don't think they are. I think they have a constant, you know, they have a, a constant motivation to kind of utilize whatever they have available to them. And oftentimes mm-hmm. that requires that they have to create entirely new structures and new processes. And, and so the thing, so, you know, I don't feel, you know, like I was born in the forties. I lived, you know, I was conscious beginning in the fifties. And my mm-hmm. sense is that as far as how people were, you know, what human nature was. I don't see much of a difference. I certainly don't see it in myself. You know, I just a sample of you one. You don't feel any different. I, I think no, that. I still, I, I'm very much in touch who I was when I was eight years old. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. I, I think about that a lot like that. Because I, I have been and we've had conversations about the reflection on, you know, I think, you know, we've had to be the ages, you're 22 years older than me, that you've had a whole other, you know, generation of, you know, the experience from 1944 to 1966 was a pretty, that's a pretty, yeah, lots of action there, you know? Yeah, exactly. Happened. And, and, yeah. yeah, and I look at the, you know, the 22 years from 66 to 88 were really, I marked 1988 as basically the end of the analog life, you know, that the, yeah. the beginning of the digital life, even though yeah. digital stuff kind of started happening in the 70s, it was a real practical, you know, we started getting real practical applications of digital stuff. But that first 22 years of my life was really analog. And I'm thankful that I had that experience because. I think there's something, you know, to that. I don't know whether it, I don't know practically whether what we, you know, the fondness that I feel for is either nostalgic or, you know, but it was a different, it was a different world. It was a very different world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, going on that book, the, you know, the the big change, you know, from, the book, wonderful book that you sent me, which I consume. You know, the I was born right at the payoff period of the first fifty years. You know, yes, like I, I agree. Born, uh, That's it. Yeah, and you know, I had been talking to people decades older than myself who had gone through the real huge impact of the you know the cars, the electricity, the you know, light everywhere, yeah. you know, movies, yeah. radio, movies, radio, 
and the beginning of television, you know, that, and, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, I mean, I, I remember people gathering in rooms to watch this thing called television. You know, yeah. I remember, you know, it was like a big event. We just mm-hmm. got our television, come on over. We're going to have a buffet dinner and we're all going to sit around and w- watch our <laughs> TV dinners and Jiffy Pop popcorn. Yeah. 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 So that, <laughs> yeah. But it was rudimentary. I mean, but the big thing about it was it had a liveliness to it because the programs were not recorded. They were live. No, it right. was, everything yeah. was still live. And, mm-hmm. you know, and think about where we are now, that live TV. Well, first of all, I don't watch it and I haven't for a while. But right. I think a lot of people just said, why should they schedule when I get to watch what I want? Well, it seems a little uh, undignified. Antiquated. Yeah, it seems, yeah. Uh, it seems futile. <laughs> F-E-U-D-E-D. <laughs> futile in both senses of the word, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> what a futile, futile way of uh, putting yeah. you know, what I want to watch, you know. But you think about that was largely, there was no change between the way you were watching television in 1948 and the way you were watching television in 1988. It was really... Yeah. The main, it was still as scheduled. You you had to be there. Yeah, you had maybe uh, when one thing. more. You had maybe one more channel. Uh, you know, when did uh, yep. CNN start? Uh, well, then you had the cable. Yeah, that's what I mean. In the 80s, you had more options for it. Yeah. But it yeah. wasn't until, it wasn't until the late 80s that you had more options. I mean, the VCR brought asynchronicity into yeah. Freed you from, at least you could choose, gave you choice and detached from the scheduling of it. But nobody could figure out how to record stuff. Still, yeah. it was at most, you know, ninety percent of the VCRs were still flashing twelve. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> nobody could even program the clock for it, let alone learn how to record programs. You know, so mostly yeah. you had blockbuster to go and give yourself some choice but that took from 1948 to 1988 to get to that point and Mm -hmm. that big middle that big golden plateau that um, i think that's a good term for it right is that golden plateau of all of those things being in place uh, that happened in the big change all those things you mentioned, electricity, on radio, TV, movies, flight, yeah. automobiles, all of those things, climb, climb, exponential improvement yeah. to 1950. And then we had that golden plateau where there wasn't much innovation on those things, but it was really settled into a much improved life and mm-hmm. lifestyle because of those things, you know, now every had electricity, air conditioning, telephone, car in the driveway, TV in the living room, you know, uh, all of those things were, that was like the basic, that was the basic amenity package for American life circa 1950 to 1980, you know? Yeah. And that's, bathrooms, Bathrooms where there was no bath and no shower. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. But very funny that the the thing now 
you know, and I, this is where I firmly believe that period from, uh, you know, 1975 to two, if we give AI a couple of more years to develop, we Mm was that same sort of climbing, climbing, incremental or exponential improvement in things. But I think that we're approaching level golden plateau where the yeah. the well next thing is going to be settled into the settled into the benefits of using all the things that we have now you're really settling into those utilization of this new baseline like every home now it, it's very it's interesting that the basic amenity package for life now includes some sort of a smartphone access to the internet and streaming smart television service. So all of that as the baseline package, you know, for the digital, digital plateau here. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty uh, exciting. Yeah. And I feel that, and I think that world affairs are dictating that this is now going to be the only thing available for people to do because my feeling is that COVID delivered a first stunning blow to uh, your ability to uh, both your ability and your desire to travel. You know, it's, I think people are much more at, uh, at, I think people, yeah, I think people are much more stay at home or stay in place today than they were four Uh years ago. Around the world, yeah. not, not, not just in North America, but in around, around the world. Geography, that geography does come into place, right? Like your positioning, your outpost, your mainland outpost to Cloudlandia. Like I think about, I've just been watching, you know, with just a perplexity. I can't even imagine what it's like to be living in Israel right now like that entire, or Ukraine. I mean, you think about these things that how insulated we are right now from the reality. Well, here's here's one aspect, you know, Israel comparatively has a very small population. That's why the equivalent of what happened with the first 24 to 48 hours was way beyond what 9-11 did to the United States. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because it's the equivalent of 40,000, 40, you know, if you compare Israeli population, population right. of the U.S., yeah. you know, it's, you know, the U.S.'s population is 45 times bigger than Israel. Uh-huh. So yeah. the 3,000 out of 40, you know, 45 times, it's significant, but it's... You know, it's not that big, but there's like 40,000. I mean, mm-hmm. if you wanted to translate it, it's like, uh, you know, it's like 40 to 50,000 people have died. Right. And But the other thing is the call up to war, because it is a declared war. They've moved 300,000 working age people into the military now. They're full-time military. Yeah. If so, what's that do to the economy? You know, what's a, right. uh, you know, and so my sense is that Israel, which is a very advanced technological country, is now going to go through an amazing period of artificial intelligence dealt with everything in that moves in their economy. Yeah. I mean, you, when you amplify too, especially 
the proximity to it when you look at the, you know, it might be uh, one forty fifth of the population, but it's also, you know, a hundredth or less of the geographic area of yeah. the United States. You know, yeah, it's basically you New Jersey. It's basically New Jersey. You know, I mean, right. the land area of New Jersey is about equal to and that's they're, crazy. They're comparable. Yeah. 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 So when yeah. you look at that and you realize that's not like even in Ukraine, as you know, the size of the Ukraine, if you're, you know, kind of there's a place to distance from what's going on the eastern border of Ukraine. It's, you know, if you're on the western <clears throat> side, you're kind of a little bit insulated from it. But, you know, uh, it, it's just it's amazing to me, Dan. I, I can't even yeah. imagine. Yeah. Well, you know, actually, my experience of this, because I was, you know, technically in a war zone when I was. I was going to say you've Korea. been in a war zone. Yeah. Well, South Korea, and we were maybe a hundred miles from the DMZ. Okay. Uh-huh. But you were conscious, and we had five alerts in the year and a half that I was there, and that mm-hmm. meant there was an incursion on the on the DMC, the demilitarized zone. I can tell you the demilitarized zone is very militarized, you know, and and so there would be, you know, uh, a squad of American troops or the other UN troops would be ambushed, you know, they would ambush and immediately the country, you know, and this was the military, the U.S. part, 40, 45,000. And then you had, you know, you had other troops, the Turks, the Turkish, the Turks had a big contingent there, but immediately you knew what to do. You would do that. So in Israel, they've had the rocket attacks now going back uh, seven or eight years. Okay, and they immediately the sirens go off. Everybody knows what to do. So there, there uh, I was. That the closer you are to the danger the less scary it seems because it's normal. You've normalized it. Mm. In three or four days, you've normalized the situation. Okay, you've normalized mm-hmm. it. Awesome. Seeing it from a distance, you know, you're imagining what that situation would do to the Four Seasons Valhalla. Right. Yeah, I'm sitting, like I'm in my courtyard right now, and it's just, it's the perfect temperature. There's, It's so quiet, you know, because there's nothing around me, I just can't even imagine if bombs started landing or somebody <laughs> started running through the neighborhood. Yeah, but on the other hand, I mean, you've been there for decades, you know, in, yeah. in the area, and you have, you know, what two, three hurricane uh, alerts uh, yeah. a year. Well, yeah, people mm-hmm. in people in Toronto. I mean, a hurricane for people in Toronto. Oh. Yeah, you know, actually, almost the entire what I would say the the water overflow situation in Toronto was hugely created because of a hurricane in the 1950s that killed 200 people in Toronto because of sudden rushing water in parts of the city where people were caught, like a riptide. You know, it's like a riptide, and they had to reconfigure their entire drainage system. You know, when heavy rains and everything like that. So that's an example, you know, an example of some place that doesn't have this kind of situation when they get a big one. They have to rethink everything, you know. 
And But the type of situation we had in Toronto in 1953, I wasn't here, but as a matter of fact, I'm not here today. I'm in Chicago, but just okay. uh, talking about it, <laughs> you know, I try to get some distance between me and any potential problem. But, you know, I mean, right. it's a violation of normal. And in Israel, my feeling when I was there, I spent about two and a half weeks in Israel, and I got a sense that everybody knew what to do with trouble. Okay, they knew what to do with trouble. There was a, a kibbutz that we visited, and these people had been in Gaza, that they had lived in Gaza before it was given back to the Palestinians. 2005, 2006, I think it might have been, you know, somewhere around there. And they were talking, the woman said that uh, there was the start of trouble had started and there were bombings and there were shootings. And um, she had three kids and they went out the front door and she heard the bombs. She heard the shooting and they all came rushing back in and they said they're shooting in the streets. And she said, well, go out the back. Go out the back. Wow. And the yeah. reason is, I mean, they had already rehearsed it, huh? but they had to go to school. Yeah. Go out the back. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she said, well, just go out, just go out the back. They had a back gate, and you know, there was a back route and everything like that. Yeah, right. So uh -huh. what it says is that having something like this happen was a normal part of their experience. Right. Yeah, that's just... Uh... And they were all packing. Every We were up at the Lebanese border, and we just visited this community that's the furthest northernmost Israeli uh, settlement town. You know, it's mm -hmm. not big. Mm -hmm you know, a couple hundred people, everybody was packing. Everybody had a six gun, you know. And it was so funny because there was a UN troop between them and the whoever was on the other side of the border. And and they, he said, aren't you scared? He says, I'll tell you who's scared is the UN people. They're really scared, okay, because we kind of believe that they favor the terrorists. You know, our, our belief is that the U.N. protects the terrorists, you know. But if you went to the northern mm. above the border and you asked the Lebanese, they said, we feel that the U.N. favors the Israelis. You know, uh -huh. so I said, if trouble starts off, who gets shot first? I, he says, well, the U.N. troops. And he says, I, I even got a guy I'm going to shoot. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I've got a guy. I, I know the guy. Right. Right. It's <laughs> yeah. all normalizing. No, but, I know what I had to. Yeah, nor it's normal is normal. Yeah, yeah, we're great normalizing species. Humans are a normalizing species. You know what it reminded me of? There was a cartoon where the 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 uh, sheepdog and the wolf were, you know, clocking in for their job. You know, like one of the guys, <laughs> today, Fred, we're after him, you know, Charlie. But, they yeah. pass each other at the, at the clock in thing. And then they'd get to do? work, he'd try and steal the sheep, and he'd try and spoil them, you know. Yeah. What'd you do last night? What'd you do last night? Uh, you know the yeah, usual. Yeah, exactly. You know. <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. What, what are you going to do today? Oh, you know, the usual. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and so people, you know, you you know, realize that and, uh, we were standing in line. We came through the Toronto security yesterday. And if you were, if you had Nexus or you had uh, what's the general term for Nexus is where they, uh, I get to, yeah, oh. yeah, I just, global entry. Yeah, I just look, you know, 
And they're really, the machines are really sophisticated. You just come up with the machine yeah. and it has an arrow going upwards and said, look into the camera. And I looked into the camera and there was about a five second say, you're identity, you know, you're confirmed. Just yeah. go and see the, the guard, you know, and that's become normal. Yeah. But in the, not because we fly business class and we have Nexus. And the other thing, people were having to take off their shoes. Okay. Yeah. This is. 2024 and they have to take off their shoes to go through yeah. you know to go through the machine and and I said this was because one guy one guy yeah, was fine he was fine from London to New York and he was trying to detonate his shoes mm-hmm. <laughs> and and he was a klutz and so they caught him and they took him away and immediately because of one guy not two in two different situations, no. but one guy in one situation, he had immediately everybody has to take off their shoes. <laughs> Just one guy, you know. <laughs> Why don't you have a little area where you have to walk across? You know, it's on the floor, and it, oh. it can de- detect explosives. You know, yes. and and it's a trap door, so they immediately drop you into the trap. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. There we go. The cleaner. The that's cleaner. Right. That's <laughs> the, right. Who was that? Homeland Security, right? Yeah. yeah. Who was that guy? I said, we'll never know. <laughs> we'll never know. Yeah. But it's interesting. And, you know, it's a pain, you know, and that's why we have Nexus. And that's why we've adopted yeah. Cloudlandia bypass you know the machine knows me yeah that's all that's Mm -hmm. really important is that the machine knows you yeah but this thing about normalizing you know and but my feeling you know the famous you know it's the adaptation curve you know it's yeah you know it starts at one end then there's a big bulge and then then it goes down the other end my sense is that people's ability to normalize is unequal I think you and I are yeah. pretty fast to normalize. I think the two of us, and, the, uh, mm-hmm. and it's a reward for being ADD. You think? Yeah, I think so too. You're probably right. Yeah. 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 That's an interesting thought. Long, long, quick start. Long, quick start. ADD. I think you normalize really fast. You know, I, I normalize really fast. Yeah. I remember yeah. it was Friday the 13th of um, March when. I was in Chicago, and it's funny because Friday was the 13th. This is Sunday yeah, that we're cool. talking. Yeah. And and I was coaching a workshop, but it was about 60% of what its normal numbers were. You know, I think uh, we normally had 50, and I think we had maybe 30. And then when we got together after the workshop, before Babs and I went home to flew back home to Toronto, she says, we've had a powwow all the leadership in the company and we've decided we're going to have to close down all workshops for three months okay it's march and uh, we're going to close down all workshops until because we're people just aren't going to be showing up and uh, we need to put the word out that we're not going to do it that time and i was tired i'd done four workshops that week and uh, mm-hmm. so we went to the airport, we got on the plane, and I'm I'm halfway home, and I said, Zoom, we're going to switch yeah. over to Zoom. This is the opportunity uh-huh. to switch over to Zoom. And I hit the ground the next morning, well, it was Saturday, but by Monday, yeah. I said, okay, 
what will it take to turn everything we do 100% into Zoom? Yeah. Yeah. I, and and we, we have uh, clients today who we haven't seen since mm-hmm. uh, early 2020 who still haven't made the adjustment. Right. Yeah. They, like, they can't normalize. And what it was, I, I think that when I first started doing Zoom, I was doing, I was trying to do the same thing as the Breakthrough Blueprint, but by Zoom, like three days, same thing. We're just, instead of being in the boardroom, you're in your home, you know? And I think we realized about Zoom fatigue kind of thing. It's sitting three days in Zoom, full days is a long, it's a big ask. And I think that you and I both have come to the realization that like, Two hours more frequently is the is a better. Two oh, yeah. hours is the right amount of time, and I found yeah. this beautiful time zone from three o'clock to five o'clock Eastern time mm. gets me. Uh, I go to Hawaii on one end, even to the you know uh, this side of Australia where it's six a.m. You know at three. PM in the afternoon, mm-hmm. all the way to Liechtenstein on the other end, where it's you know ten o'clock at night. That swath of the Western world is really what's available in yeah, and so yeah, that's, and that's big, our uh, I mean advantage. ours yeah our stretches from Pakistan well mm-hmm. stretches from Mumbai because uh, mm-hmm. Mumbai is further to the east than uh, Pakistan to New Zealand. And I'm just saying people who show up for Zoom calls, you know, the, yeah, you know, uh-huh. yeah, and everything. Yeah. Liechtenstein, it's really interesting. That do wives know first, uh, do how often their husband thinks? <laughs> perfect. Like and I say, that's a money, one. that's a money laundering. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, the very first space. So I started doing the specific, like I do a lead conversion workshop and a lead generation workshop, which are four sessions specifically about that micro topic, two hours each, four weeks in a row. And the very first one that I did, we had someone from Hawaii and Liechtenstein and all points (laughs) in between, you know, it was really the it was the perfect thing. So Yeah, I mean, we adjusted throughout the day depending on our, you know. Uh, right. I mean, I'll have... Uh, Where six, you want to target, right. Six um, free zones. I have, you know, six free zone, two-hour free zone. I love quarter. Those, uh, connector calls are... are oh, the connector calls are amazing, you know. And the, if they're big, you know, they have a lot of people, they take on one quality. And if they're like a handful of people, they take on another quality. Mm-hmm. They're different for you. Can, you don't have to have breakout groups if you have five people, you know, because the group is the breakout group. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. Yeah, and everything like that. But I think this, we're in for one of those periods. And I agree with your thesis that we've had sort of a 50-year move to the new game period of history. Okay. Yeah. And I think the politics and the economics of the end of the 50 years are radically different than the politics and the economics where you started the 50 years. That would have been true from 1950, from 1900 to 1950. 
And because that was something, let's talk about that for a minute, because there might be some clues into what happened. Well, there were no empire. Uh, In the 1900, the whole world was organized according to empires. There were six or seven major empires. By uh, 1950, they were all gone. All those empires had gone away. Okay. Uh, I mean, Great Britain still retained a global reach. That used to be their empire, but it was now called the Commonwealth. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't British troops uh, being stationed in those places. You know, it was this Mm -hmm. that they, what held it together was British law and British political structures and English language and the pound. You know, the, I mean, the franchise, basically, right? It was a franchise. Uh, (laughs) Ideological, political. uh, Yeah. And the U.S. changed the least of all those countries. I mean, from a lifestyle standpoint, it changed a lot from a technological. But its basic structure and process of how the country is run stayed exactly the same. It was the Constitution in in, in 1900, and it was the Constitution in 1950, and then 2020 was the Constitution. And and it was designed as a franchise nation right from the beginning, because each of the states is like a little fractal copy of the federal government, you know. So, and each of the states gets to adjust to the way that they deem important, you know. It's it's everything, you know. So I think mm-hmm. of all the people on the planet who have had to change the least over the last fifty years, I think Americans are the number one. Mm-hmm. You say, well, what Maybe. do you mean? I mean, I had to do this, and I had to do this, and I said, yeah, but you're, you know. I bet you have more conveniences, you have more comfort, you have Mm -hmm. more capabilities, but I would say your day-to-day life is not that much different. It's so, there's a guy on YouTube who has a channel where for years, he's branched off into other areas now, but his, his main thing was as a solo guy, just going with a, GoPro camera to explore former Soviet territory. And <laughs> right, like it was just the guy on YouTube, his channel is called Bald and Bankrupt, is oh, the, yeah. the guy. But he goes around and he gives you, he just goes and sees like, what is life like in Uzbekistan right now? You know, like he goes and tours the areas and he's fascinated by the you know soviet mosaics and the all the remnants of you know grander times for soviet it's all ruined it's all ruined absolutely and so you see the the day in the life of people because he goes and sort of he speaks russian well enough to to get by yeah, yeah and he befriends, he befriends locals and gets invited into their homes. And, you know, you just see, like, what what an amazing contrast to life in America. You know, I mean, to a capitalism life than <laughs> to life after, you know, communism, where capitalism hasn't fully sunk in, you know. Uh, yeah. Even though it's, it's an option, yeah. it hasn't sunk in, you know, in that way. And yeah. how desolate, you know, it's the landscape is just bleak. You know, I mean, 
everything is in dis and and the roads and the infrastructure and everything is just crumbling and the bar resilient i guess in a way right but yep. there's a lot of there's a lot of they're living normal lives not i wouldn't say normal but i mean normal to them no normal but lives, they consider lives. it normal yeah. they consider it normal, normal yeah. lives yeah normal lives yeah. life yeah yeah the there was an article i read about twin sisters born in germany born before the wall went up so this would be, oh, in, uh, and uh, and one of them said, you know, we've got to get out, you know, and they were, you know, they were young, very young at that time. And so the one with a lot of initiative did it. And she was leaving behind her twin sister, who uh, she was unusually mm-hmm. close, to, uh, close to. And she moved mm-hmm. to the West Germany. The other mm-hmm. sisters stayed in East Germany. And they would mm-hmm. correspond, and they're under, you know, under very difficult conditions. They were able to visit with each other. The the sister in East Germany couldn't go to the West, but there was provisions that, you know, families could re- reunite for half a day or something like that. So anyway, and then, then the sister who was, you know, more motivated, then got a chance to move to the United States, and she moved to Iowa. Okay. And at a certain point when the wall fell, you know, which was 1989, the sister, they made this, it took a year to plan it and everything else, just practically because the the sister in Germany just wasn't used to going anywhere. And right. so they finally, they flew to, she flew to Chicago and then to Iowa. And so they picked her up at the airport and she, she, they were just driving from the airport to wherever the woman lived in Iowa, the now American sister. And they were going through just a normal suburb. And she said, you're taking me through the wealthy section. Now you take, and they said, this isn't the wealthy section. This is just, um, no, this is just, this is just the way everything is normal. Is. Yeah. Uh-huh. This is normal. And that, yeah more or less paralyzed the sister because she had no mental structure to take in that this was just the way that right. Americans lived. And then they went right. to a supermarket, you know, which was probably oh. the land size of two football fields, yeah. you know, and just a normal super, no, nothing special. I mean, yeah. yeah. And so they walked in and they says, we've got a lot of shopping to do and everything. And she says, well, is there anything I can do? And she says, well, look about the aisles there. You see, you know, there's aisles one through 20 and just go to aisle number 11 and just turn the corner, you know, and take string with you. So you can, or lead, lead bread, breadcrumbs, you know, lead breadcrumbs, right. Yeah. <laughs> and so she says, but we're looking for cornflakes, some cornflakes. So anyway, and they agree and they're both punctual. They're German. And, and so she says, you know, in 20 minutes, let's just meet right back here. And so she, the American sister is there, but the German sister, the East German sister isn't. So she goes down to aisle 11 and her sister is right where the cornflakes were standing mute, you know, so just uh, looking at the cornflakes. And she said, there's 10 different kinds of por- uh, cornflakes. Yeah. How can I possibly choose? And she said, I just grab one of them. And she said, I can't comprehend. How do you make decisions here? How do you make decisions oh, here? Oh, man. Yeah. 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 It's a collision of two normals. 
Yes. You, you want, I mean, Lupa talked about that coming to oh, yeah. America yeah, yeah. and going to the grocery store as, you know, <laughs> like going, just seeing all the things that were available. It's amazing. It's yeah. really interesting to hear her talk about her awakening to capitalism, you know, oh, like yeah. as a, because she came to America at 18, you know, or, you know, 20, I guess she was 20. And uh, yeah, seeing, having that her whole life. Her and, nine other siblings followed her. <laughs> yeah. All, she brought everybody, and yeah, everybody over. But that, yeah, she's just well, I think Luba amazing. Really I think you have the, a different level of Well, she's really the, you know, she's the, you know, the great exhibit here of someone, the adaptation curve, you know. Okay. I mean, she just like, it was like when she had the chance, she didn't miss the chance to get out. But what I remember right. most about her story, because we were out to dinner a couple of times at the last free zone in Palm Beach. And what I remember most was that the person who most protected their rather odd family in the Ukraine, in Ukraine, was a KGB agent. Oh. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, you know, so, you know, every, everything, you know, what makes people normal is who they're connected to, you know, what, who are you connected to? And, uh, you know, the more you're connected to people who have wider perspectives and have greater capabilities, I think it's the faster you're able to adapt. Agreed. I think that's, uh, I mean, since I talk to you all the time, what am I going to do? Whine about COVID? Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, regardless of how I'm feeling, you know, I've got a certain status to uh, to maintain, you know, a certain reputation mm-hmm. to maintain. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love it. Well, yeah. I, I think the interesting thing I'm fascinated about, and I can't wait to uh, think about this week, is this in the context of the Golden Plateau that we're reaching here and how to thrive in that golden. Well, I think things are going to slow down. You know, my, my uh-huh. milk theory, uh, money, energy, labor, and transport, you know, yeah. I think things are definitely, I can sense that things are slowing down. Like, you know, the, the predictions in the high tech industry, everything's going to get bigger and better. And that's, you yeah. know, it's a straight upward line yeah. to the, but I to inf- infinity. And I says, I don't think so. I think that the now th- things really slowed down when they hit 1950. Uh-huh. You know, I remember it as being a fairly tranquil period, the 1950s, 1960s. I, you know, uh, I agree. That's what I mean. It's very homogenous. until you were born, and, and then of course things started getting lively. Then things shifted, right? <laughs> yeah. But I no, I was, agree with you 100. percent That was a, you know, that all of that leveled into a the stage of, you know, a plateauing of advancement. I mean, it was, an, it was, you know, all those things you read about in the big change, those things were revolutionary. I mean, so yeah. all these baby boomers born into this plateau, that plateau really didn't know a world before those big things, before electricity, no. television, all television, air conditioning, yeah. cars, roads, all of yeah. that. And then they grew up in 
brand new schools all the way up, you know, the whole, uh, the whole thing. Whole new and, neighborhoods, you know, they grew up yeah. in whole new neighborhoods. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I think we're into that period again. I think we're going to uh-huh. you know, go. The, and I was thinking that when people save old things, like cars, mm-hmm. use an example of cars, of classic mm-hmm. old time cars, you don't notice many classic old cars that were produced too much after the 50s up until the 80s. You know, uh, right. you, you really to pick up on the late 40s, the Fords were beautiful, the Chevys were beautiful, the Lincolns were beautiful and everything else. And th- they are saved because they didn't really, imp- they style-wise, they certainly did not approve. I can think of only maybe two cars. I'm not a car guy, so I'm your right. thing. But, you know, and one is the Chevy Corvette, mm-hmm. which has maintained a certain classic look for 70 years. And the other one is the Camaro, both the Chevy yeah. and the Camaro. You know, the Camaro yeah. is, you know, is a hot car, but I can't think of any other, you know, again, I'm not a car person, so yeah. I'm basing my confidence on ignorance here. But anyway, but the big thing is, but the four, 30s and 40s is just full of these old classic cars, you know, and I think it was mm-hmm. a high design period. And, you know, and I mean, we certainly don't save any technology that much from that period of time. You know, well, it was come uh, on over tonight. Was, I've got I still got my 19 Motorola television and it's. Oh, six yeah, inches, no, exactly. Six, six inches, yeah. and, you know, and everything like that. No, nobody does that. But they do have radios from the 40s. You know, people do have yeah. radios from the 30s and 40s. You know, yeah, it was. Yeah. Anyway, so how would we sum up today? Because we've shot through an hour and record time. I can't believe it. Well, I think my reflection right now is really going to be, I think, drawing the parallel, looking at who and what were the conditions for thriving in the period from the 50s to the 80s, you know, and on that, on the back of all of that advancement. And I think if we're I'm going to start doing some guessing and betting about what's going to thrive in the next 25 years, you know, that we've reached this uh, thing. And I'm going to let it ride out to 20 as the peak of the plateau kind of thing and see that period from, I think the period from 25 to 50, um, that 25 years is going to be, there's going to be a lot of parallels, I think. Yeah, yeah. The, the but my sense is though. I can just end with one little example from a 10 times connector I had on Friday. I was in a breakout uh-huh. group with three people. One of them was a marketer. One of them was a podcaster. And I'm just the other one was an online educational company, two women and a man. and And half their sharing was... The progress they've made with AI during 2023. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. And I was very struck uh, struck by the, their reports because they just talked about it. They were just talking normally about something that literally did not exist before November 30th last year. That's, okay. Yeah. They were just talking as about well, we're doing this with AI. We're doing this with AI. We're doing this with AI. And it was like they yeah. were saying. 
yeah, and we did this. We're doing this with electricity. We're doing this with electricity. We're doing this with right, right, exactly. And I said, you know, I said I've gotten a keen insight just by your reports today. You're sharing that this is what's going on in tens, hundreds of millions of places right now, and it's all yeah. subsurface. It's all below the surface. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they're not talking about it as a big thing. They're just talking about it as a normal thing, you know. Right. Yeah. That's why I yeah. say by if we that and I think that's gonna be expanded that if we extend this to twenty twenty five, that by then it's gonna be everybody's gonna have a sense of what this is, you know. I think you're absolutely right. Like we're literally just a year into AI. Yeah, I mean that's. It's, I can the, see the report. I can just see the reports that are being written about our conversation today at the NSA. Oh my! People say we've got to have a meeting. We've got to have a meeting. They're on to us. They're on. No, they're not on to us. They're on to things that we didn't know about. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. And what was the Roman Empire anyway? <laughs> Is that an empire we should be paying attention to? Do we have contacts with? <laughs> All righty, oh, Dean. That's funny. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, I'll be here next week. Are yep. you here next week? I think I Perfect. think I am. I, I'll be back in Toronto, but I'll certainly be. I'll be in a position. Perfect. I will talk to you then. Thanks, Dean. Bye. Okay. Bye.